It's good to be back after a break, uh, after an Easter break, and uh, this week as we have a shorter week in chapel, we're looking at what does a resurrected life look like? Now that the special church services have concluded, our new Easter outfit has been showcased, the chocolate bunnies have been eaten, the eggs have been found, the family gatherings have dispersed, leftovers are no longer in the fridge. What do we do with the message of the resurrection for the rest of the year? And so this morning, uh, we want to share three reflections of how the reality of the resurrection intersects and impacts our daily lives. And as one mentor of mine recently put it, we dare not put the idea of Christ's resurrection into the Easter weekend box and somehow pack it away until next year. Rather, Christ wants the reality of his resurrection to be the central power and passion of our lives every day of the year. And you see the reality of, the, of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, yeah, it, it may be old, it happened long ago, but it is, it is always the next new thing, the next best thing. It's not old news, it's good news, because it's living news. Therefore, it never gets old, we never graduate from it, and it is like a diamond that has all these beautiful facets, and we will spend the rest of eternity turning that diamond and being in awe of its light and of its truth. And so uh, this morning, we want to uh, really kind of give a, a reflection of, a large in part actually came out of a conversation with our spiritual formation staff and have three of our, our uh, members. Uh, there, there was gonna be another one, Nina uh, was gonna be sharing this morning, but you can pray for her. She threw out her back last night doing I don't know what, hopefully not shoveling snow or something, but um, so we're missing her this morning, but uh, Cole, uh, Keith and myself will be sharing briefly. And so uh, let me just pray for us again as we get started. And I'll have Cole come up and uh, uh, kick us off. So Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can live in light in the aftermath of the, of the resurrection and all of that means for us today. I pray that you would captivate our hearts and our minds as uh, we proclaim, as we celebrate together your resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, I'll be honest. Resurrection is hard for me to really understand sometimes. And I suspect it may be the same way for many of you out here as well. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak for a youth group about the importance and the, the centrality of the resurrection to our faith, why it is so important. And in a discussion group afterward, one of the high school boys, um, who I know very well, made this comment. It just doesn't seem relevant right now. I'm not really that old. And without using the words, he was getting at the idea that he wasn't particularly concerned about death yet. Why? Because we're so young. There's a, maybe a reason that a lot of people caricature millennials as being this risk-taking generation that likes to do things that probably aren't very smart. But a lot of us have this ingrained idea that our lives are somehow invincible, as if the resurrection isn't something that really applies to us yet because we haven't really neared that point where death is a reality. Now, that being said, there are some of us here um, for whom the reality of death has, been, has touched us so deeply uh, that this isn't true. But for a lot of us, we're still at this point in our lives where we are looking ahead and we're seeing that this thing is way out here. The death and the need for a resurrection are something so far away um, that sometimes Easter is hard to understand. Now, don't get me wrong, I appreciate Easter, and I'm so grateful for the resurrection, and I cherish the gospel so much, but I cannot help but wonder if I really fully appreciate and live in light of the resurrection. 
because of the way I think and operate in the world. At the beginning of the Lenten season, I was looking at this devotional from the Center for Christianity, Culture, and Arts put out by Biola University. They put out a great devotional for Lent. And in the first video that they had, the, the person who was speaking in the video talked about Martin Luther um, and his idea of what sin is and what sin does to us. And Luther had this idea that sin is this curved inwardness of the human soul. And in curving itself inward, the human makes itself completely self-dependent, self-focused, such that its existence is for itself only. And in doing so, it cuts itself off from God and its life source. And that is why we live in the reality of death. It's a condition that we cannot escape because we ourselves are the issue. We are the problem, and there's no way we can save ourselves. Going even further back to the text itself, uh, Paul talks a lot about this idea of life and death and resurrection. And he gives one really clear picture that gives a stark contrast of what his life was before the gospel and after the gospel. And it comes from 2 Corinthians which is Paul's defense of his apostolic ministry. So in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 13, he gives the reason, the why, and the what of his ministry. And he says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the passage continues from there. Paul shares similar ideas in Romans 5 when he says things like, We were buried, therefore, with him in, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, this new life that we live in. So there's two things here that we need to see this morning. And the first is the word is that Paul refers to in, in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The resurrection is here and now. It is beginning at this moment. It's not something one day down the line when we die. But we know that already in our Bible classes. We've heard that. We know about the already not yet principle. We know that the resurrection is here and that it's coming one day as well. We know these things. But a lot of times we don't consider the other side of that. You see, if the resurrection is right now, then so is death. And if the resurrection is not just some future thing that comes at the end of our life, then death is a reality right now, just as the new life is a reality that is possible for us now. Death, dying, and being dead are a reality for us. Now, you know I'm not talking about physical death. I'm, I'm not talking about being physically dead and in the ground. I'm talking about people who are alive and who are breathing physically, but who are dead inwardly, like Luther talks about. And what does this look like? Well, Paul gives us one glimpse of this back in verse 15 in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for their sake was raised. You see, Paul is talking about a completely different life, one that is the center of which is something completely different. It's no longer the self, but God 
himself. Luther's idea of, this, of human beings curved inward on themselves is being reversed by the resurrection so that our lives are no longer for ourselves, but they are by and through and for God. It's no longer motivated by a love for ourselves, but by a love for others and a love for God because it's Christ's love that compels us, not a love for ourselves. You see, the resurrection is going in a completely different direction than the life that is lived where people really are dead. And then this was the same case for Paul. Before the resurrection, before he knew Jesus, his life was a dead life. His life was uh, an inwardly twisted and curved in life because he was living only for himself. And that's true of all of us before we know the gospel. So I, I want to close with this very blunt and, and convicting statement by Jesus that always gets me when he writes to his church in Sardis from Revelation 3. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I think we forget sometimes how close death really is. And so my question is this. Are you living as though you were a dead man or a dead woman? Put aside for a moment all the theological debates about perseverance. Are you living as though you are dead? Maybe some of us in here today are characterized by the self-centered, curved inwardness that Luther so aptly describes. I know that my life looks like that sometimes. Live again. The resurrection has come. We know this. The resurrection promises real life. A life consumed with the endless journey to satisfy the self is never fulfilled and is no life at all. Real life means being pulled out of the self-made tomb that we have made to encounter a life that is consumed with the risen Christ. He is our life right now and forever. In light of our celebration of Easter and the resurrection of the Christ, consider the power and love of God in rescuing you from that death and into a new life. And then live like it. Cole, thanks for that. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, you guys, my name is Keith. Uh, I work in what we call worship arts around here, uh, which has to do with uh, something with music and singing uh, to God. Um, sometimes uh, I feel insignificant. Sometimes I feel like what I say doesn't matter. Sometimes I feel like what I have to offer doesn't matter. Sometimes I, don't, sometimes I feel like I don't have anything to offer. Um, as I put myself in Jesus's story, in the story of the resurrection this week, um, uh, there's, one, there's one part that, that, that sticks out to me. Uh, and so that's what I wanna focus on today. Uh, Peter goes fishing. This is after Jesus died. And I think that Peter, uh, right, we, we know the story, Peter denies Jesus three times. Uh, Peter, the guy that says, I will go to death for you, Jesus. The Peter, the guy that draws his sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. Peter, the first guy to speak up. Peter, the first guy to say the dumb question. Um, Peter uh, denies Jesus three times. Uh, and I think Peter felt all of those things that I was just mentioning. I think all of a sudden Peter was like, oh man, uh, did I botch this? Did I screw this up or what? Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe I have nothing to offer. Uh, maybe my life doesn't matter. Maybe my ideas, maybe my thoughts, maybe my following Jesus doesn't matter. Um, and so what does he do? He goes back to fishing, the place where he came from before Jesus called him. Uh, and while he goes fishing, 
here's the story uh, that comes in where Jesus, where, where Peter is maybe thinking um, about all his insignificance. Uh, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. Uh, this, is, this is John chapter 21. We're coming with you, uh, they told him, a couple other that were fishing, right? We know the story. They went out, they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the nets on the right of the boat, uh, and you'll find some. So they did. Uh, right, we've been here before. Jesus has, <laughs> Jesus has had these conversations with Peter. Therefore, the disciples, um, they, got, they caught a large number of fish. And therefore, the disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garments around him. Uh, he plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about 100 yards, uh, the other disciples got in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire. Uh, here's, here's uh, to me, reading this, here's what resurrected living means. Peter dives into the water. Peter doesn't have time to row the boat ashore because the resurrection for Peter uh, is a whole new chance, is a whole new shot. Uh, uh, a second before that, Peter screwed up and is going to go back to fishing. He denied Jesus three times, and I imagine that he can't believe that he did that. Uh, and what does he have to offer, or what significance does he have? And now he sees Jesus on the shore and instantly dives into the water to get to him. Not even enough time to row to the shore. I love that. I think that is the picture of resurrected living. That is how we live uh, because, because of what Jesus did for us. Uh, then the story goes on, and we know he, he denied Jesus three times, right? And Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then feed my sheep. Uh, watch over. Right? And all of a sudden, Peter becomes... Um, uh, this character of God, this character for God, this character for Jesus, his confidence changes. Um, I also love in the story that Jesus doesn't have to bring up like, hey, uh, you denied me three times. Uh, I think that that's important. And I think that Jesus knows that that's important to go, man, this is not about shame. Uh, we do not have to live with the shame of what we messed up with. And we do not have to live with the regret uh, of what we've done wrong. Uh, or the, the feelings of our insignificance, uh, or the feelings of the things that we've screwed up on. Instead, Jesus comes again, uh, our God of second chances. Jesus comes again uh, and asks us to go feed a sheep. Uh, there's always room. I think the living the resurrected life uh, is diving into the water after Jesus, because we can't even wait to row our boat to the shore. You know, there's something significant that happens when we spend time thinking, dialoguing, praying, processing um, all these things concerning the resurrection. And uh, without stating the obvious, if there was no resurrection, you and I wouldn't be here today, right? If there was no resurrection, there would not be any Christianity. If there was not Christianity, you and I would not be sitting in chairs within a Christian university. Uh, but yet sometimes the truths that we hear over and over again
can become, become so plain, uh, become so normal that, that we lose the reverence and the awe that they deserve. But as we talk and discuss with one another, it's amazing how Jesus sometimes surprises us with our presence and causes our hearts to burn afresh um, with, with a passion and with, uh, with a love. Uh, and, and I love where, where I like to share and kind of pick up that not only does the resurrection bring our lives in a whole different direction that we're constrained by the love of God rather than love for ourselves, not only does the resurrection deliver us from our regrets and our past shames and failures and gives us, resets a new trajectory for our lives to actually be a part of something that matters, that has eternal significance. But I wanna, I wanna give a, a look at um, a passage here uh, that happened, that describes a scene of, uh, of, what, of what happened with his disciples the same day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And uh, this is coming just after Jesus appeared to the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says, as they were talking amongst them, Jesus himself came near. And I love, so within that context of the conversation, Jesus' presence is manifested in a unique and a special way. And now after they finally get it, their hearts are burning. Uh, they, they, they are now enter into the same room where the disciples are gathering and where they're hiding. And we have the huge uh, uh, earth-shattering, history-shaping what? The resurrection. But now I just want to ask the question, now what? Because Jesus raised from the dead, and just give us a few things that I see in this passage and picking up from Luke 24. It says uh, that, that as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself again stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they had seen a spirit. And so this idea is that when Jesus, because Jesus risen from the dead, you and I have a peculiar, unshakable peace. That as they just heard the recent news of Jesus appearing to the two men uh, in Emmaus, right while they were discussing these things, Jesus suddenly appears. And I, and I love this. This is, this is kind of a humorous passage for me. Here's sneaky Jesus, right? They're sitting there talking, and they're hearing this testimony, and they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus appeared on the road. And then he, he came, and just as soon as he came, then he vanished again. But our hearts were burning as he opened to our minds the scriptures, and he's made known to us in the breaking of the bread. And they're sitting there probably thinking all of a sudden, poof, there Jesus is again, right? Like, Okay, so you just sometimes uh, that, that, that Jesus surprises us with his presence, but yet he says to them, don't be afraid. And this phrase, uh, most likely this saying uh, uh, of peace probably comes from Jesus' teaching just a few days earlier. When on the night he was betrayed, he said such things as peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let you not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so this idea of Jesus giving peace and this meaning of peace here carries with it not just the absence of conflict, war, worry, or fear, or doubt, but also the full presence of life as it ought to be. Carrying with it the Old Testament context of this shalom, this whole life, life uh, abundant. And you may be finding yourselves that, you know, you might be afraid, you might be confused, you might be overwhelmed. Uh, maybe life isn't going as you thought it should. But because Jesus raised from the dead, we have a peace that brings a perspective that we actually get to be a part of Jesus' plan for making and recreating this life as it should, of restoring shalom, that Jesus is shalom incarnate. And so it's life as it ought to be, or as God designed it to be. And I love as Colossians 1.20 says, it says, and through him, through Christ, 
he was to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, that because Jesus raised from the dead, we have peace with God. We are reconciled to him. We have peace with one another. We're reconciled to each other. We have peace with ourselves. But secondly, I love this. Because Jesus was risen from the dead, we have an unparalleled and incomparable proof. Here's what I mean by this. I love it. It says, but as they were startled and frightened, they thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts, doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while, they were and while they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. I love that phrase. He said to them, have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. And so while Jesus' disciples were slow in receiving Jesus' peace, because they couldn't believe, this is too good to be true, is this actually Jesus standing before them? He gives them proof. They remained afraid, confused, and doubtful. And, uh, but yet, the good news is that Jesus was risen from the dead. We have this proof that he is real, and he is who he says he is. And I looked at he presents proof. First, he appeals to the disciples' sight. They can see him. He appeals to their hearing. They can hear him speaking. Then he also appears, appear, uh, appeals to their touch, inviting them to touch him and to see that he is real. But notice what it says in Luke 24, 40. It said he showed them his hands and his feet. Why his hands and his feet? Well, the obvious conclusion of that we see here in the scripture bears witness elsewhere that the scars of the wounds of, of the cross remain on Jesus' resurrected body. Why? You see, the scars remain so that we would always remember the cross. And this is key in being a disciple of Christ. That Jesus said if anyone would follow him, he must deny himself or put, put himself to death, take up his cross daily and come after me. So, beloved, if we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, we must remember the cross daily. And because we've seen the glory that's, that comes from the death and the message of the cross, we can passionately pursue the counterintuitive call to die that we might truly live. And so this idea that no doubt the disciples saw Jesus' hands and feet, they remembered the cross. They remembered that Jesus was dead. They are seeing him now alive. Look at how the disciples react in verse 41. They say, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. This is simply too good to be true. And he said, it's, it's been said of the four major world religions that, they are said, uh, that are said to be started by a solitary person rather than a set of ideas. There's one major difference that cannot be ignored. First, there's Judaism, the first of the Abrahamic religions founded by Abraham. Second, there's Buddhism, founded by the Siddhartha Gautama, or AKA the Buddha. Third, there's Islam, an Abrahamic religion uh, formed by Muhammad. And fourth, there's Christianity, an Abrahamic religion founded by Jesus of Nazareth. Now you see, when a famous person dies, their grave gets memorialized. We can see this with people on our own days, such as Princess Diana, Bruce Lee, Jimi Hendrix, Michael Jackson, or Prince. But when a famous religious leader dies, their grave gets enshrined each of the religious leaders just mentioned have one thing in common. Every single one of them died. And today we can go visit Abraham's tomb called the Cave of the Patriarchs, located in Hebron. We can go see um, Buddhist, Buddha's tomb called the Kushavati, located near the Hirani Avati River in northern India. We can also go visit Muhammad's tomb called the Mosque of the Prophet, located in Medina, Saudi Arabia. But if you wanted to go visit Jesus' tomb, 
you will find no shrine because no one really knows with any degree of certainty where it is. Because unlike any of the other three religious leaders, Jesus did not stay dead. He had a tomb that was borrowed and it's now empty forever. And Jesus conquered the power of the grave. He rose from the dead, proving that he was everything he said he was and that he is God in the flesh and beloved. That is something to be excited about today and something to be excited about every single day. And I love Paul's words in Romans 1. He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you, who belong to Jesus Christ. And this brings us to the last two points. Because Jesus was risen from the dead, we have an uncompromising message to proclaim. Jesus put it this way. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So we have the interpretive key of all of scripture that everything is pointing to the cross and flowing from the cross for the purpose of reaching the nations with this message. And he said to them that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We are meant to be these witnesses, to bring this message that this, this, this is not something that we just are meant to uh, have in the comfort of our own community. It's meant to be extended and shared to those in our city and out to the uttermost parts of the world. And beloved, as of today, there's just under 7,000 unreached people groups uh, uh, equaling roughly 2.9 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus. So we have a message to proclaim. We have a mission to participate in. And here's the last key thing, and here's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the resurrection, is because we have an enduring purpose for unceasing and united prayer. I love at the very end of this Jesus gives them this commission. He gives them the peace. He gives them the proof. He gives them this message to proclaim, but he says, don't, don't, don't do it yet. He says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They were given the great commission. They were given the proof of the resurrected Lord, but yet he says, don't go out and share any of that yet. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And when we read on in Luke's sequel in Acts, what did they do when they're in the city after Jesus ascended? Which, by the way, I love that in, the, in, the, in, the, in and of itself. That is such an amazing aspect. They're sitting there talking to Jesus, and they're saying, well, you're going to restore the kingdom to us now? And they said, that's not for you. The times and seasons are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And all of a sudden, he's, he's taken up into heaven. And they're just sitting there, looking at each other, dumbfounded. Well, what do we do now? And then the angels, two angels say, uh, hey, guys, why are you just sitting there? Uh, uh, Jesus is going to return the same way that you saw him leave. You are called now to go do what he's called you to do. And it says that they remained in Acts 1.14 continually in the place of prayer. And it says that at, uh, on the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. So if we do the math, Jesus was alive uh, after the resurrection. He was appeared he, he, and remained here on earth for 40 days. The Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, roughly 10 days in unceasing united prayer. It's hard for us to spend 10 minutes in United Prayer, is it not? Because they knew that that was their only option, that was their only hope, that was their only connection to the power that was needed for them to go proclaim this message to the nations. So, beloved, here's the amazing thing. Jesus, is coming. Jesus has lived. Jesus has died. Jesus has 
risen from the grave. Jesus has ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for you and I. And guess what? Jesus is coming back again. And you and I get to participate in that mission by remaining in constant, unceasing, united prayer, being continually clothed with power from on high through the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim his message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins so that we can live a resurrected life. And once every nation is heard, it says then the end will come. Then Jesus comes back. And so as we're sitting here right now and as we close, I want to I pray. And I want us to just, just sit for a moment in the things that have been shared Ask the Lord, say, Jesus, because you have risen from the dead, I praise you that. And maybe you just want to thank him that you don't have to live in shame anymore or regret. Maybe you just need to thank him again that you have the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins and of eternal life. Just thank him for the resurrection. next, I want to invite us, even just right where we're at, to say, Jesus, because you have risen from the dead, help me now to go to, and you fill in the blank of what he might be calling you to do today. Maybe it's taking, maybe having your own conversation about this, what it means to have a resurrected life with your roommates over the lunch table. Don't let what happened here stay here. Take it out there. Maybe there's a relative that you saw this weekend. Ask the Lord to help you, to give you the power to know what to say and how to say it, to share, to testify of who Jesus is and the change he's made in your life. Say, Jesus, because you've risen from the dead, help me now to go to, and what is he calling you to do? So Jesus, we, we, we declare that there's so much here that we will spend all of eternity looking back at the cross, seeing you and your resurrected, ascended glory at the right hand of the Father, that we get to be seated with you in the heavenly places and we will see as the disciples saw the scars in your hands and in your feet and to be filled and refreshed forever with gratitude and worship and awe and worship and love and, and, and Lord that I pray that that reality that will happen then would break into our now and into our present day, Lord, that we would live lives, resurrected lives, having died to ourself and having you in our, as our center. And so, Lord, clothe us with power from on high, the promised Holy Spirit who dwells within us because you have gone away and brought and, brought and given him to us. So, Jesus, thank you that through the Spirit you're always with us. Help us to go in, love, in that reality today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen.